0: Levinson, and this is Light On, Light Through. Episode 33, Memo to the Network's Ray Presidential Debates. Next time, tell us who's raising their hands. Well, the debates that I'm talking about are, of course, the presidential debates. We've seen two of them, both on MSNBC. Two weeks ago, we had the Democratic debate, And uh, just a few days ago, we had the Republican debate. Now, this podcast is not going to be about the politics of the debate, what was said in the debates, although I may mention a few points. But instead, I want to focus on something that I find really appalling. There's no other word for it. It happened during the Democratic debate, and it happened during the Republican debate. And in each of those debates, there were at least one question in which the candidates were asked to raise their hands if they agreed with something or if they supported something. In the Democratic debate, there was a question about who had guns in their homes. And everyone except three of the candidates raised their hands. Now, it came out later that the three candidates who didn't raise their hands in the Democratic debate in answer to this question, that is, the three candidates who do not have guns in their home, were John Edwards, Barack Obama, and Hillary Clinton. But when I was watching the debate on television, on MSNBC, it wasn't clear at all who was raising their hand and who wasn't. There was a long shot meaning the camera was basically showing everyone from a strange angle. It didn't go from person to person to see whether or not his or her hand was up. And even worse than that, no one at MSNBC, for example, Brian Williams, who was moderating that debate, told us whose hands were up. And I noted that in one of the blog posts that I wrote shortly after the debate, but they never listened to me. I'm sure other people noted it as well, but a few days ago, this past Thursday, we had the first Republican debate also on MSNBC, and a question was asked about who doesn't believe in evolution. And amazingly, I mean, the mind boggles, three of the candidates raised their hands. That is, signifying that they do not believe in Darwin's theory of evolution, which is what the theory of evolution usually is that's discussed. In other words, these three do not believe in natural selection. And again, although it was clear from watching on television that three people were raising their hands, it was by no means clear who they were, because the camera didn't stay on them long enough. And... Chris Matthews, the same as Brian Williams, did not trouble to tell us whose hand was up. And, again, it shortly came out, a little after the debate, that the three people whose hands were raised, saying they do not believe in evolution, are Senator Brownback, Governor Huckabee, and Representative Tancredo. Now, as I just said, I cannot fathom how anyone in this day and age could not believe in evolution. And, and frankly, I think all three of those men should resign. They're not fit to hold public office if they are denying the ton of scientific evidence in support of evolution. And incidentally, belief in evolution, agreement that the theory of evolution is scientifically correct, is in no way in contradiction with belief in a deity because the theory of evolution does not talk about the ultimate origin of life. Darwin's theory of evolution does not talk about how life emerged from non-life. It doesn't talk, of course, at all about how material emerged from nothingness in the universe. And it's perfectly compatible with belief in a deity to think that once life arose, created in some sense initially by a deity, since then it has evolved, or put otherwise, that the deity set life up to evolve in a Darwinian way. Well, bottom line on that is you can be an atheist, you can be agnostic, you can be a devout believer in any faith in which you believe in a deity and still believe in evolution. So why then did these three men hold their hands up? Well, they, I'm sure, could explain for themselves. But uh, probably what's happening with them is they find evolution the theory of evolution, to be incompatible with their literal reading of the scripture, which says the world was created in six days. That, of course, goes contrary to a ton of scientific evidence. But, in any case, getting back to the networks, what is wrong with MSNBC what's wrong with Chris Matthews and Brian Williams, that they can ask a question like that or have someone else ask that question, and people, the candidates raise their hands, and that's not reported to the American people. And let me just go over that again from the point of view of television production. There were at least three ways in which that information could have been made apparent to the viewers. That is, who was raising their hands and who was not in both the Democratic debate and the Republican debate. One has to do with the camera person. Now, a camera person can either just have the camera in a static mode for a brief second... Of everyone on stage, that's what it was uh, in both debates. Or the camera person could, as I said before, very slowly pan from one candidate to another so you can see whose hand is up. The camera person didn't do that. But it's actually not really the camera person's fault because, by and large, the camera people do what the director tells them to do. So, point B is, why didn't the director say, hey, I want you to go slowly from candidate to candidate so that the American people can see whose hands are being raised. So, the director is at fault as well. But I think most of all, Brian Williams and Chris Matthews, and I otherwise like them uh, as newscasters and commentators, but they must have been out to lunch at that moment. Because how on earth could they ask a question which required the candidates to raise their hands and then not tell the American people whose hand was raised and whose hand was not? Well, so I'm sure we're going to be seeing many more debates in the future. The next debates will be on CNN in June, so one hopes that they'll learn from this lesson. Debates are extremely important in our political decisions. You know, one of my favorite examples is what happened in the 1960 presidential debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard M. Nixon. People who heard the debate on radio thought Nixon did better. But people who saw the debate on television thought JFK did better. JFK was better looking. He was more comfortable in front of the camera. So the impressions that candidates give to the American people in these debates can be crucial and certainly whether or not a candidate raises his or her hand about whether they believe in evolution is definitely something which I would think most Americans would want to know The Light on Light through podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network that's blueberry with no ease dot com. And now a word from our new sponsor go to my PC Communication theorists know that there are two kinds of information that we need to thrive in this world. One kind of information comes from the mass media, newspapers, radio, television. The other is information that we ourselves may create or write. Now, you can get the information on radio and television and the Internet just about anywhere. So what do you do when you have some very valuable information that's on your home computer and you're out there traveling somewhere, maybe across town, across the country? Use Go to My PC, and you'll discover the power and freedom of the web. Try it free right now for 30 days with unlimited access. For this special offer, just visit GoToMyPC.com forward slash podcast. That's go to my forward slash podcast. You are listening to a Runaway Network Podcast from Runawaynetwork.com. Yes indeed, and the LightOnLightThrough.com Light, Light Through dot podcast is now proud to be part of two networks. The Blueberry Network, which is sweet. And the Runaway Network, which is very edgy. And, in fact, you'll find a lot of sweet and edgy stuff in the LightOnLightThrough.com podcast. Flash. And you know what? That is our flashes section. Well, first, did you uh, hear what happened over at Digg, D I G G, earlier this week? Now, you've heard me talk about Digg before. In many ways, it's the equivalent for reporting and for newspapers and magazines of what Wikipedia is for encyclopedias. Because on Dig, unlike the New York Times or Time magazine, the readers decide what makes the front page and what news gets kept up there in public view. Well, earlier this week, there was a real meltdown on Dig because someone published on Dig an article with some code that would enable people, I don't know, to get onto some kind of HD film system. I don't really even care. Some stupid nonsense, you know, another example of a dinosaur trying to protect its information. Anyway, the code got out. It was published not only on Dig but all over the place. But when the attorneys for this online organization, not Dig, the place that had the code, found out about it, found out that there were articles on Dig and other places, they apparently promptly called up Digg and these other places and threatened them with lawsuits. Digg's response was, it took down the article users got angry at that and began putting up articles complaining about the fact that Dig took down the article. Well guess what? Dig then took down those articles. Now the users who are angry I think have a very good point because the whole raison d'etre of Dig is that the people who run Dig should not be the ones who decide what's on Dig and what's not on Dig. It should be the people at large. So when Digg took down those articles, they were in effect reneging on their very ideal, on the very principle that makes Dig truly revolutionary. Well, the system was almost brought to its knees because the users on Digg went really ballistic and began posting article after article with this number. And eventually Digg said, you know what, we're going to let those articles stay online after all. You know, it's all part of the battle between old and new media. And apparently, Diggs users understood that if you're on the side of new media, you don't take down articles with these numbers simply because some attorney in a fancy suit calls up and threatens you. Anyway, Good for Dig, they did the right thing, better late than never, but they did do it. By the way, I should mention that DIG is not the only system that has readers deciding what gets prominently displayed and what does not. And there are several other systems out there as well. There's Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T dot com. There's Netscape dot com. But, you know, two of my favorites are StumbleUpon. That's one word spelled just the way it sounds. StumbleUpon.com and Fark. Dot com, F-A-R-K dot C-O-M. Hey, and last week we were talking about some of the great shows that are on in this conclusion of the current television season. And I just want to give a shout out to one of the best shows I've ever seen on television in the time travel genre. And that was this past Monday's episode of Heroes, Five Years gone. Now you've heard me talk about time travel on on lightonlightthrough.com before. I love time travel. That's why I wrote the plot to save Socrates. But time travel is probably the most difficult genre, the most difficult kind of story to get right. Because there are so many paradoxes that can happen when you time travel, that if you just trample over those paradoxes and ignore them, it really ruins a lot of the fun of the story. Well, Heroes did a superb job in five years gone. I think that show is right up there with Yesterday's Enterprise, which was one of the best shows of Star Trek The Next Generation, and also Harlan Ellison's masterpiece, City on the Edge of Forever, which was in Star Trek The Original Series. So if you haven't seen Heroes, I highly recommend it. The DVD will probably be out this summer, and many of the shows are still online on MSNBC, NBC.com. But unlike Star Trek, the whole hero series really is animated by time travel. And this show, Five Years Gone, did a great job of presenting some of those time travel threads on heroes. (laughs) Promo. Our promo sweet baby and starting once again, first and foremost, the MikeThinks.com podcast. Highly recommended. Mike's last show had an excellent piece about Blockbuster. You may remember we did a piece on Blockbuster and Netflix a few months ago. I think within 10 years, maybe within 5 years, they're going to be pretty much gone. Well, listen to MikeThinks.com, and as always, you'll find a very savvy point of view about this issue. And you'll also hear a promo for it's now concluding. There's only one or two episodes left of Sean Farrell's patio book reading of my 1999 novel, The Silk Code. So go over to patiobooks.com and listen for a little taste on this promo for the Silk Coat Patio Book. And you'll also hear a promo for punk horror podcast. You'll hear several other promos as well. So listen, I enjoy talking to you as always. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. mm yeah. yeah. Check out the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world, witness the wonder of ages past, and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Join the battle, witness the wonder, or forever be victim to the awe and power of The Silk Code. Phil D'Amato is ready. Are you? Punk Horror Podcast. Coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press. Featuring the Punk and the Pastor. A movie review show featuring Gabriel Giannis and Stacey Campbell. And author Red Fiction. <laughs> Featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punphore.com.